Hey guys, so this is our fourth episode of Drive. If you've been listening before, you've heard our episode on teachers, climbers, and artists. If you haven't already, this if it's still October when you hear this, we actually have a promotional on our website for Red Rock Photography. For Stacy Redmond's company that he has running out of Asheville, North Carolina, he has some beautiful pictures on there. And if you go to our website, you can find a code that you can enter for 20% off of some of his pictures. It's great to put in your home. And if you love Asheville, if you were local there, or you just like to visit the area for vacation, it's a great thing to add to your home. So after our first episode, we said that we were willing to hear from people who wanted to have episodes produced. And my friend Ashley got us in touch with some other librarians. She really wanted to do a librarian episode. And I have to be honest, I was a little skeptical. I wasn't sure how that was going to go. Yeah, I never really found librarians to be the most interesting people I've ever met. But But, uh, I think that uh, my mind has been changed a little bit. We actually had a different format for this episode, too. We sat all three of our guests down together and had a a nice long discussion. with. There's a little bit of wine involved. I think we got a good conversation going. And so I hope you're going to really enjoy it. Now, I wanted to bring up this. I, I've not heard this story yet, but Matt said that he had a nightmare involving librarians that yeah. he want to share. So it's not really about librarians per se. It's more about how I had an enthusiasm for reading as a kid, and this came into my nightmares. So I don't know if you remember the show Reading Rainbow. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let me set the stage for you. And, and my, and my four, I think I was about four years old, and I still remember this. There's two important things. There's Reading Rainbow. And then do you remember how Sears like will take family pictures? Yes. You and everything? Yeah. Okay. So my nightmare takes place in the back of a Sears. LeVar Burton is there. Yeah. He's the one <laughs> taking pictures. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know if you remember this, but in, in the in the show, they have this sort of graphic thing where uh, when they're about to start talking about a story, they have it framed in a picture and then it like you get taken into the story through yeah. the picture frame. Yeah. Well, LeVar Burton was doing this all on his own. And what he was doing was he was getting kids and taking pictures of them. And as soon as he took the picture of you, you were trapped in the picture of course. forever. <laughs> and so he was trying to kidnap me and stick me in a picture. And then out of nowhere, the person that used to babysit me and my brother as a kid, Joan, came and she had an accent, and she used to call me Matty, and she was like, run, Matty, run, Matty, run! <laughs> and so I took off, I ran out of Sears, and, and, and got mouth. away and with if you crazy love LeVar Burton if you were local there, me, But he had all those other pictures of those kids he did, trapped yeah, forever yeah. as slave labor for his show. For his show. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a yeah. good thing that Joan was there to save you. It was. was yeah. You had romantic feelings for Joan as a... As a oh, as no, a, Joan is... No. no, definitely not. <laughs> Joan, Joan was like more of a mother figure. Okay. I was also four years old. Oh, so, yeah. Well, you I, know, I, I don't really yeah, have... Sometimes people have crushes on there. I'm not personally. I mean... I just... No. No. I'm sure not. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Anyway. So um, we have we have a great episode for you today. We have Rachel, who um, works with Novelist, and she works in the private sector when it comes to libraries, and Susan, who works at UNC, and Ashley, who works with public libraries in the area. We have a lot of fun topics coming up, so get ready to listen. We're going to hear about saucy preacher romance novels, political scandals, and filthy, filthy books. So tune in, listen, hope you enjoyed the show. Yep, welcome to Drive.
People have been telling me that I should be a librarian since I was about seven. Um, I really hated this idea because I really hated librarians. Um, I like to read. I love to read, and I've loved to read since I was little, and I was able to read at an adult level pretty early on, but the library in our town had limits on where you could get books. My dad always used up all of his limits to, for books, so he was checking out things for him to read. So he wouldn't use it to let me read the Louis L'Amour books that I wanted to read, from the, which is seriously what I wanted to read <laughs> from the adult section um, or like the sci-fi stuff that I wanted. So uh -huh. I was stuck in the children's section and I did not like that. Um, when I had read everything that I wanted to read, the librarian tried to be helpful and showed me the Sweet Valley High books. I was about nine and way too young for those <laughs> at the same time as my reading level was way too old for them. So this, this was not satisfying. Um, so basically I hated librarians. Um, then, I mean, I liked many of them individually, but there were the repeated incidents of people stopping me from reading things that I wanted to read. So I didn't end up actually wanting to be a librarian until I sort of fell into getting a job in college in the school library because it was easy. Um, and then I saw what, like, actually being a librarian was like, and that's what I wanted to do. Unlike Susan, I loved being in the children's section and still do <laughs> to this day. <laughs> I like to read children's books, but when I was a kid, it offended my dignity. I, I, yeah, no, I definitely, you know, that's developmentally normal. I went through that phase, but then I came back around to the other side. Um, yeah, I was also one of those people that people would told me that I should be a librarian uh, throughout my childhood, but I wanted to be a writer. And once I got old enough to realize that writing was hard, and I wasn't that good at it. <laughs> the librarian was like the next. I'm still around books and stories all the time. But, You're right. Yeah. And yeah, and now in my job now, I'm writing, but I am writing about books instead of writing books. And I'm actually much better at that than I was at writing fiction. Um, so that turned out really well for me. <laughs> yeah, like I pursued um, teen librarianship originally in public libraries because I was definitely that... Um, teenage misfit lurking in that corner of your <laughs> library like not causing any trouble but also checking out really weird stacks of books and like doing ILL for like any gay themed book that I could find because this is like the 90s so they're wow. starting to be there but not a lot <laughs> I actually so I have two aunts who are librarians but I never had anyone say oh you should be a librarian probably because I was a very loud and talkative child. And so everyone was like, you should be a lawyer. Um, <laughs> you had to channel that some kind of way. You love to argue. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's, it's a hobby. So, um, But yeah, no, I got into it in college. I got fired from some office job, like some like student worker office job I was working at. And I was going to be on campus for the summer. And so I was like, well, this is a good time to get in at the library because everybody wants to work at the library because it's easy easy quote unquote um and so i was like oh, okay i'll do this and then i got there and i was like oh this is all right okay um and then that just kept happening i would like get another library job and be like, this works i can i can live with this and then at some point point it just became like oh i guess i actually like want to do this i actually have like feelings about this now and it's like part of my identity now so that's sort of how that i, I kind of just fell into it can you all explain the difference in like what the public thinks that you do versus what you actually do. <laughs> when we told my grandmother that I was going to graduate school to be a librarian, she said, eh, why did you spend so much money sending her to college? All she had to have was a high school degree to shelf books. This is a fairly, fairly common view of what we do. 
I think this is perhaps, not perhaps, like, I think this is dumb. I think it should be easier to become a librarian. You should not have to get a master's degree. You, it depends on but, what you're doing. But and if you want to have, like... Have a, I have a colleague who doesn't have one. Yeah. If, but for the so. most part, in libraries, if you want to get paid, like, a reasonable rate to do one job, you need to be a librarian with a degree. And <laughs> even the true. definition of a librarian, like, there are people, they're annoying, but there are people who, <laughs> because I haven't finished my degree, will say that I'm not a librarian. And that's generally other librarians. But if you go... No one else would care. No one no right. one in the public cares at all. If you work at the library, you are a librarian. And that's all they need to know. Um, it's just a, it's like being a store clerk or a construction worker. It's just a job. Yeah. It's a category of job, and I'm sure they assume that there are other things going on, but that's, like, that's it. But, yeah, there's definitely, like, a... Um, so, like, my, my boss doesn't have his, but he's... Um, and he's one of my bosses. I should remember that I have two uh, jobs. Um, but he's been working in the system so long that he was able to sort of just... But you, you can't do that anymore. Um, that's not what well, works. And then there are people who think, you know, that volunteers can do it. Or, you know, when we got our self-checkout machines, there were a lot of jokes about, like, our job days being numbered. And I, <laughs> I just... I, I'm often fascinated by, like, what people think. Like, that's a great question. I don't know. Because yeah, sometimes I'm like, how do you think this works? A like, lot of people really do think that you just sit around and read books all day. Like, they do. We don't. I mean, I buy books for the library. But when I say that, vast majority of what I'm buying is ebooks, And that's going to be continuing to the point where it will probably be almost no print books unless they're rare special collections things for the, histor the historical collections. Mm -hmm. I don't sit around reading them. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, like, yeah, we're, we're buying things, we're planning programs, yeah. we're making tools to help people, we're teaching classes, we're, we're putting up story book displays, yeah. we're <laughs> making parts of our websites, we're working yeah. on various projects to support. We're undoing the printer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going out into the community and, like, yeah. you know, visiting schools and communities. Yeah. And yeah. In medical libraries, it's pretty, it's becoming more and more common for librarians to go along on things like grand rounds or to sit on um, institutional review boards that look at pieces of research mm -hmm. to determine whether it, it's ethical or appropriate or whatever. Um, and the reason why librarians will sit in this group is because we are better and faster at finding accurate information, even when our users are the subject experts, far more knowledgeable in the areas than we are, but we are very good at using the tools that are available to find information. So if there, a question comes up or if somebody wants to find out, oh, there is a horrible, bizarre complication right here. I need to look that up really quick, and I'm dealing with the complication. Here's someone else right here who can look it up faster than anyone else. That kind of thing um, is a useful thing that we can do. And it's not always about what you know or what you what you studied, what you've experienced. It's never that. Some people will ask me um, questions about... Um, something particular and then if I happen to know the answer or can point them in the right direction they it then follows a conversation about how I must have been a history major I was an English major um or something like that I I I, I'm, I, I think there's an assumption that we have all of this knowledge and what it really is there I shouldn't say this there there's some librarians who are not that like um <laughs> 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 it, but it's about being able to use the tools and it's about learning how to use the tools and sometimes people will assume this happens a lot this happens an unfortunate amount um when i'm at the desk if there is um someone who wants fiction by an african-american author or 
urban fiction or something like that. A lot of times they will wait until I, like if they come up to the desk and I'm helping someone else and I have a colleague who's free, instead of going to the colleague who's free, they will wait and they will ask me because the assumption is because I'm black, I have a specialized knowledge of, you know, Eric Jerome Dickey. I don't like him. I mostly <laughs> read like fantasy and historical fiction and even customers are making assumptions about what I read and what particular interests I have. And none of that matters to whether I can do my job or find them the book that they want to find. You know, that's not, that's not relevant. And that does bother me. It it comes up a lot with, there's a subset of African-American fiction that's like church fiction now, which is very, yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with that. Is it kind of like, yeah, when you go to Walmart and there's all the like weird, like Midwestern, like church. My grandma read those. Yeah, there's so many of them. There are those. And so there's also a subset of like books about preachers. Often like romance too, isn't it? Yeah. Or yeah. yeah, Church romance. (laughs) (laughs) Fiction is a strange thing. (laughs) And that's fine. Like. Honestly, one of the best things about working in public libraries is you you can't be a book snob anymore. You know, you as long you're just glad people are reading. But people will come up with these books and assume that I've read them or ask me questions about them and if it's not like on in a reader's advisory capacity, I'm an atheist. Um I'm queer, so I'm not reading your, you know, straight preacher romance novels, whatever. But I mean, I can look up the reviews for you, but don't assume that because I'm black and I'm a woman that I've read these. You yeah? have a nice printable bookmark of those. Yes, <laughs> no, we can give it to you. We, no, we, we actually, we, we don't do it anymore in Orange County, but for a while that was my job. I was making the genre bookmarks. And if people would ask, I'd be like, here's this. This is, the, you and I know the same thing, same <laughs> amount of information exactly. about this. I can find you some more about it, but it's not because of who I am. It's mm-hmm. because of what my job is. Yeah. That is so far removed from what what happens in an academic. I bet. <laughs> yeah, no. Especially I... in like a health sciences library, we usually have um, we get undergraduates, mm-hmm. but they're usually undergraduates who have already figured out what they want to do with mm-hmm. a career path, and it's in our area. So the majority of the people who come over to our library already have some experience with using a type of library like ours. The main problem with working with the general public, as opposed to the public in a at a university or anything like that, is People are not great at boundaries, um, whether that is just like general, like, please don't ask me that question. I'm not comfortable with that to like people touching you. Um, yeah. What kind of questions have you been asked? So a lot of times libraries are polling places. And when that happens, yeah, I saw your whole series <laughs> <laughs> I it on Facebook. We <laughs> talked about so that. Bad. And so, so people will come in. And generally, actually, we, we get a bump in registrations then, which is nice, <laughs> because people are like, oh, yeah, the library's here. I'll, you know, And so that's great. That's fine. But like when people come in and they want to talk to you about politics or about, you know, there's some grand conspiracy amongst the poll workers about, you know, why they wouldn't give you give me the ballot I wanted because I was registered with this party. And there's, you know, there's so there's, there's just general rants about that stuff. And then sometimes people want to talk about specific candidates. Um, we get a lot of, um, during election time, because there's a part of the grounds that isn't library property, and so people are able to put um, signs up for different politicians. And November is going to be great. I'm re- I, I work oh, almost every Tuesday, and I am going to, pre- I need to request that off now. Um, <laughs> but people will see a sign out there and then get mad at us about why there's a sign out there. And I had one lady one time 
who there was a group, there was a nonpartisan group who was registering people to vote in this most recent primary. And they had information on different parties and they had it broken down by party. Like, here's the information about the Republican candidates. Here's the information about the Democratic candidates and all of that. And they just had it all out there for people. And she decided, she saw that they were, they, she saw the word Democrat and just lost it. But then proceeded to ask me about why these people were allowed to be in the building if they were only representing the Democratic Party. She, so she proceeded to rant about how it wasn't okay that the library was partisan and I couldn't get a word in. This is the thing about people who come ready to rant is that you can't get a word in. And um, she, she was very excited to tell me that she was voting for Dr. Ben Carson. And I'm like, that's great. I don't need to know any of this about you. Do you have a library question? Which is a, which is a thing you have to say a lot. I am really glad that we are not a polling place. Um, we get lots of members of the public to, um, who come in because we are a public institution. So we are open to anyone. Please come visit us. But we are open. We are open all the time. We have air conditioning and we have restrooms. So you will get a lot of folks who don't have anywhere else to be who will come and hang out in the library. This is why a lot of public libraries are known as sort of needing a social worker. And mm -hmm. in some places, they actually have a social worker mm -hmm. who is assigned. Durham County just got one. Really? Mm -hmm. Finally? We, we have folks, and as long as they do not bother anyone else actively, um, it doesn't matter if someone else is disturbed by another person's presence, as long as they're not doing something to mm -hmm. them, um, then we're totally happy to have them there. But every now and then, um, we had someone who came in after being, I don't know what they did, but they had done something offensive and they were asked to leave the other library on campus. So they came to, whatever it was, wasn't bad enough to be asked to leave campus. So they came to our library and they ate our daisies. Oh. Ate your daisies? Yes. There were, we often, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not like a colloquial thing. <laughs> Literally. Oh, I have an eating story after you. <laughs> We have a beautiful garden out back that's filled with like edible herbs and, and medicinal plants and flowers and things like that. Not those daisies. Um, I don't think we usually have daisies in there anyway, but we have other flowers that could be eaten. Some of them legitimately. No, we often have flowers at our desk. People bring them from home. Or oh, they eat the desk them. flowers? I was yes. thinking outside. He uh -huh. came in, he went up to the desk, and he sees the desk staff, and they ask him, can I help you? And he's like, no, 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 eat the daisies. And so then, like, we have a book of people who have been kicked out of the library. Watch out for these people. And so somewhere around... libraries have those. Or yeah. a folder on the S drive yeah. or something. Yeah. If you're lucky, the person who writes it is funny. Um, yeah. funny. Um, you have to be careful with that because you cannot be mean or offensive. Like You have to be very people, factual. Yeah. But that can be funny in itself. Um, so I like reading these. It's and I did not witness the eating, the eating of the daisies. But I was flipping through here and I saw that on an entry that was already in there because the guy had gotten kicked out of the other library someone had written in eight hsl's daisies and that's how i found out <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we've yeah, we had there are lots of other things like that but some most of them are, are like sad or scary or something yeah. this one is just funny it's yeah. usually sad like but yeah, or, or not even sad but sort of like as as a teen librarian like for five years uh -huh. in public library uh, you know, a lot of time, like you, and for, for kids, not just for teens, but the teens are the ones I dealt with. The library is, you know, it's free, it's air conditioned, it's open late, it's there's something to do. default yeah. babysitter. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. it is, 
you know, once your kids are at a certain age, you can leave them alone at the library. Under a certain age, you get the police get called because you've abandoned them. <laughs> but just, you know, kids, like, who didn't have keys to their own houses because their parents are working two jobs and just, like, whatever their situation. like, And so they don't want to be at the library. They just want to be somewhere. Mm-hmm. So they're not always great at abiding by library rules, but you also don't want to kick them out because yeah. they're, they're just kids. Yeah, they have nowhere to go. To go. <laughs> and so that makes a problem for the teen librarian because, like, you're in the position of being the man. Or mm-hmm. there. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but you also, like, you have to, like, keep the peace. Can you talk about the growth stuff? Like sticky picture books? Like sticky uh, picture books? Children are sticky and they touch things and make them sticky. Chairs you have to wipe down. They were not isolated yes. corners. Yeah. We had a period of time where we had to keep replacing the chairs in this one area because I don't know if it was a bladder control issue. I don't know if it was intentional. Oh, no. But it's, it's, it's resolved now. It's not happening anymore. But I do know the next time we order chairs there... For that area, they're not going to be upholstered, um, so that we can just like you know hose them down. Or Multiple yeah. chairs in the same area. Well, like three. Which but, which I, that is not a small. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I that, that I'm like, oh, you know, it's like it might have been an accident, but like three, three is. Like, as soon as I said that, I was like, I think my threshold has changed since I started working in public that totally trumps any gross stuff about <laughs> yeah. like patron behavior. Yeah. Generally, yeah. I get to avoid the gross stuff because I'm not in management. Um, mm-hmm. It's very nice to be like, well, let me go get my, my supervisor. Oh, uh, yes. Um, they can deal with yeah. this shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where, you, where you are is Yeah, like, because like, if books get returned and they're nasty, then a lot of times you do see that. Like you were saying about the sticky picture books, the sticky children's DVDs. Um, we had a stack of manga get returned with bed, bu- bed bugs, oh, and there was no. a whole thing with that. Lots of vacuuming. Um, one time, this is this has been several years ago. I was working at a county library in Virginia, and somebody we got an I, I don't even know why they sent it back. We got an interlibrary loan return from some other library, and the book had blood on it. <laughs> it was it was like wrapped in plastic, and they wrote like biohazard on it. And how did they even they legally ship that? that to you? you totally are not supposed to do that. I can tell you all the things that, and um, it's not cool. Well, like, we unwrapped the regular package, and there was all the plastic with the bio. And, and so rather than open it, the person who got it was like, I'm going to give them a call. And they called, and they were like, so we got this book back. And she was like, why did you send it to us? Like, couldn't you have just emailed us and said, this book came back damaged? Tell us what the fine needs to be so we can pass that on to our patron. It was, it was very weird. Um, but in general, as far as the gross stuff goes, it's just public libraries are not any anywhere you have a, a large amount of people is going to be gross. Unsanitary things will happen. Yes. Like and everyone no. who tells me that they've ever had like a fantasy about like sneaking into a library and having sex there after hours, I'm like, don't do it. Don't, don't touch anything. I'm clean. <laughs> My thing is when people tell me they love old book smell. Because I'm like, old book smell is mold and, <laughs> and skin cells and sometimes pee. And silver, uh, what are those? Silver, silver fish. fish. Yes. Oh They're totally a tiny bug. Don't, don't ever <laughs> sniff an old book again. And when you go to the public oh, library, God, maybe wash your hands. <laughs> You're supposed to, like, instill joy <laughs> when it comes to books. And New book smell is Ruined one of the best yeah. things about old books. When, when we close at night, the there's a line like to wash your hands. There's like, or like, we find different sinks and everyone is washing <laughs> their hands. And that's like the last thing we do before we, we turn, <laughs> yeah. turn everything off. Because... 
It's it's you have you guys ever caught people hooking up in the library? Yes, of course. Yes, indeed. Everyone. everyone I have I haven't found people in flagrante. Thank God. I would probably just like get keep walking and get in my car and go home. But can you talk a little bit about what it's been like to transition from public library work to more of the private field? Um, really pleasant for the most part. <laughs> so, you know, we were talking earlier uh, before we started recording about um, sort of high burnout in public librarianship, which is sort of similar to what teachers experience. It's not a thing that they talk about ahead of time, but it's very true. Um, and so I was starting to feel some of that, but also um, this job is one that I have been stalking since grad school. <laughs> I'm currently just, stalking novelists right now. Just, yeah, if you want to work there, just sign up for those email alerts, y'all. <laughs> but, uh, and just keep applying. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, that was also very exciting for me because it was you know, like literally my dream job. Um, but yeah, it's a, I, I do surprisingly miss, not that surprisingly, like I don't miss the stressful parts of public librarianship, but I do miss like being able to see live humans especially kids and like hear what they're interested in and what mm-hmm. they're doing and sort of see how you know doing readers advisory when you don't see how it lands is a little confusing and for for people who aren't familiar readers advisory is you know part of the librarian skill set where someone says i'm looking for a book about this or a book that makes me feel like this or i just need a good book and then you have to ask them five million questions to figure out what they mean or that is <laughs> readers <Yeah>. advisory. <laughs> um so my company does this digitally and um, public libraries can purchase this service. I am a bibliographer, so I, I select and I annotate books for our next reads newsletters, picture books, kids books, tween and teen. And so not only do I have to like think about that broad multinational group of readers of those age groups and like what they might like and what, what kind of a mix I can put in here that will be something for everyone, but I also have to gear my writing style towards that age group. Mm-hmm. And again, it's mostly librarians that are reading these newsletters, but we want the intended audience to be able to read it and get it. So I'm not going to be using, you know, $5 words in the kids' books newsletter, you know, like if you don't know what it means when you're 10, it's not going to help. So yeah, like having to tailor my, the skills that I'm used to just doing one-on-one with a person to a much broader scale, it's been very interesting. You get things done a lot faster. Everything in libraries is done by committee. Oh, it takes forever. And my first meeting at Novelist was like four people in a room, and we talked about a thing, and we decided on a thing, and we went and did the thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, what is, I don't even know. I have no frame of reference for this experience. So we've heard a lot about challenging personalities and disturbing events, but what ultimately is the most challenging part of your job? I think some of the things I witness. It's it's not even, you know, we, we talk about the challenges of working with the public. Honestly, a lot of that stuff is like very minor, and it lasts like less than a minute and it's over and you go home and you have a beer and you're good. But the, the, some of the things I see with people in public places can be really upsetting. Um, the, some, some ways that some parents treat their children can be upsetting, not even down to like it being like abusive or anything like that, but just like the, the ways that parents will police their children, you know, because of gender or religion or anything like that. Um, every spring we get these bookmarks from the, um, botanical gardens at Duke and they're beautiful and they have like flowers and plants and all that. It's usually flowers because that's easy way to catch people's eye. And more times than you would think there are parents that like, if one of, if a boy picks one of those up because it's got flowers on it, that's a problem. And that he needs to get the bookmark with the superhero on it. 
And I'm just like, most people, when was the last time you looked at a bookmark you had in your book? <laughs> like, I use, like, receipts and, like, just whatever I have handy. Like, it's... And so stuff like that is upsetting or when they, they, the most recently, it was probably a couple weeks ago, this um, lady who's usually pretty nice, she's a regular, her daughter had like a stack of books and she had one she wanted to swap out. So she, while I was checking out her mom's stuff, she ran and got this other book and it was a little larger than the others. I want to say the kid was probably like eight or nine and her mom was just like, well, you can't read that yet. Like she was like telling her daughter not to try. I hate that. Like, worst case scenario, she opens the book and it's too hard and she reads one of the other books she has checked out. You know? Like, but that's how, at least, I, I'm pretty sure this is true for most people, that's how you learn, that's how your vocabulary grows, is is by reading things that are unfamiliar and challenging and interesting because they're unfamiliar and challenging. And that just broke my heart. I was just like, after they left, I, just, I like I was like talking to my boss about it. I was like, that's just so sad. I think I need to like go have a cookie or something. <laughs> um, so a lot of a lot of the things like that are really tough. And also um, the 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 things I see in a reference capacity um, can be upsetting. Like we were talking earlier about. Um, actually, I think we were talking about this before we were recording about the digital divide and how there's a group of people who have just been completely left behind because of the internet and whether it's because they're looking for a job or they're just trying to like you know get a lease signed or do a passport application or whatever that there's just like they don't know how to do the most basic things and you have to walk them through the entire process and a lot of times libraries are not set up for things that take that much time i mean we, we have like a book library and thing where you can do that and you can have like an hour and we can help you with whatever. But a lot of people don't take advantage of that. Because again, like what we were saying about um, people feeling like they're they're misusing our time. And I'm like, no, we're here to help you. And you have to convince them that you're here to help them. But yeah, you see these people that can't get anything done. And you have to keep breaking down how you're explaining it. And sometimes you hit this floor of just like, you know, I don't think I can explain this any more simply than I am. And it, it can be really difficult. And sometimes they'll just get frustrated and get up and leave. Um, and that that's really heartbreaking, especially if they're, they need to apply for a job. I have like three levels of like upsetting things when I think of like most challenging situations. And like the job I have right now is uh, really not that challenging. Like I, I feel enormously privileged to have the kind of like weird specific job that I have. Um, and, and I just, I'm very pleased about it. But like every now and then we run up against something that you wouldn't think about. Like um, we have um, the front page of our product, like when you log in to use it and like look something up, we have like a carousel of new and exciting books. Mm -hmm. And I'm part of the team that picks those for, um, for kids and for teens. And there's, um, there's a debut author. He's published a few books now. His name's Jason Reynolds. He's great. Love his books. His first book was, um, it was like what John Green really wanted to be. Like, just like real kid dialogue and about just like loyalty and friendship and like resisting violence, but not in a cheesy way. Mm -hmm. And the cover of the book is pictures of gun, but in a rainbow knitted cozy, right? And so this is a great book. We wanted to feature it. He's a debut author. Like we really wanted people to like be aware of this book, which has now been banned in several school libraries for this reason, because they have a zero tolerance policy on even images of guns. Mm -hmm. And so, like, we could not promote this book in a way that would best get it quickly into the hands of readers. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you were in your actual library, you just pop it on a display and mm -hmm. there you go. 
So there's that. And then like on the realer side of things, there was like a day um, in the public library where we had a patron come up to the desk and tell us that there was a guy over there who had a gun. I'm like, oh, who's there? Um, and it turned out that he he did have a permit to conceal carry. He just hadn't seen the sign, or he said he hadn't seen the sign that said you couldn't bring them home. They never see the signs. Yeah. No, they never do. But, you know, fun stuff like that is sort of the, the opposite of, you know, you have genuine moments of, like, what's going to happen? How can mm-hmm. I protect these people? <laughs> um, but then on, and then like, the third level, which is, I think, the most challenging one, is systemically, like, libraries are just constantly underfunded. You never know what's going to happen. Like, it's never really dependable. Mm-hmm. Like, even now, like, the job I have, like, we're still, like, libraries buy our product. So if libraries' budgets are cut, they can't buy our product. So, like, I'm still, like, the, the library budget cycle is still something that I worry mm-hmm. about. Well, it's um, July now. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. Hello, we won't really know what it is until <laughs> September or October. But, uh, yeah, like, all different libraries do it differently. And, um, yeah. So, which is another thing that I learned, like, behind the yeah. scenes, we talk about money so much in the for-profit world. <laughs> Who knew? But, uh, we talk about it a lot in the, the non-profit talk world. Talk about it differently. Yes. <laughs> so, it was very shocking to me the first meeting I was at, first sales meeting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, so I was at the, um, it was at the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Public Library um, in 2010 when they had a drastic budget shortfall and within... A couple of months, many county groups had to lay off large numbers of staff in order to make the budget happen. And that included about 50% of the library staff. You know, my best friends, both librarians, both got laid off. They had to move out of the state. A lot of people's lives were just sort of puppets. Their strings cut. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. It was it was like an institutional trauma. Mm-hmm. The things that caused me, pr- I love my job. I have a really, I really like my staff group. I like the things that I'm doing. I really like my library. I love UNC. Um, but, so I don't, and I don't interact with the public all that much. So I don't have as many direct experiences like what they're talking about. But the whole money thing, because my job is to buy things, is a constant our state legislature is regularly tinkering with the amount of money that is given to the university system, and it is not generally increasing it, although sometimes it does. So that means less money for the library, and it also means that we have to figure out what to do about the resources we pay for. One of the things we have to do is try to balance all of the different needs and interests that the huge variety of people involved in the university have and make sure that everyone gets as best they possibly can. But when you have an ever-shrinking amount of money and an ever-increasing cost because um, resources and publishers like Novelist and the other ones that we get charge more every year. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how much content they add. Sometimes they add things um, that you don't care about, but they are adding it, so they want you to pay more. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes they don't add anything, but they're still wanting you to pay more. They will always want you to pay more. Sometimes just keeping the things that you have means you have to cut something. Adding anything new always means you have to cut something mm-hmm. when you have a budget as tight as any health sciences library is. So we've talked about the worst parts of the job, and we're always trying to capture the emotional arc of your stories. And so what is the part that makes this job worthwhile? What gets you pumped every day to work in the field that you do? I have worked in academic libraries since I started. I also have volunteered in public libraries and sort of buzzed around the edges of other types of libraries. Um, and one of the things that I found to be the same across the board, and I find it deeply, deeply interesting and satisfying to help people find correct 
or at least trustworthy information because a lot of times there's more than one correct piece of information. But I also know that there are a lot of incorrect pieces of information floating around or untrustworthy ones or ones that might cause people to have problems, especially in my current field. Um, and I really, really like making sure that people have at least the option of going for accurate information. Mine is uh, kind of similar, and I mean, most librarians are going to say something along those lines. <laughs> but for me, it's um, there's you know they talk about uh, you know in library school, like in the profession, you know the right book, right time, and the right hands is sort of the, the magic moment of librarianship. Mm, yeah, and that really is where it's at for me. Like. Um, Especially, you know, I still, um, in my current job, I still write about books for um, kids and teens, so it's still youth services in a way. Like, that's just, it's, uh, like, reading allows you to do things that you could not do, like, have empathy for people that you would not get to experience in real life. Like, it is free and it is easy. It's, <laughs> like, the only way that you have, a lot of the time, access to things that you can never actually access in reality. And so that can be you know, a life-saving measure for some people. Like, that's an extreme example. But still, like, if you get that right piece of information, that right book, whatever it is, like, and so when, when you're the person who facilitates that, that feels amazing. <laughs> you're like, I just changed that person's life. Maybe not a lot, <laughs> but changed it. You know? For me, it's actually different depending on what library I've been working at. Um, when I've worked at university libraries, it's been a lot of, what is this person studying? What question are they going to ask me? You know, like, am I going to have to look up stuff about like turn of the century gerrymandering, gerrymandering in Chicago? Or is it going to be about like this protein in the brain? Or, you know, you never know what the question is going to be. And the good thing about university libraries is very rarely in my experience, as a reference librarian, in my experience, have I not been able to give them something to get them started. And that a lot, especially in public libraries, a lot of times people seem like very grateful. Um, not that I, you know, need to be showered with thank yous all the time. It's great, but it's not like a job requirement. Um, but when you feel like you've actually like really helped the person, like you were saying, you've gotten them the thing they need at the time. Thank you all so much for listening to our episode. Uh, please go ahead and spread the word to your friends. Let us know what you think through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can donate by going to our website at drivepodcast.com and clicking on the little button there. Uh, that'll help us buy new equipment and new software and that kind of thing. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode. We're really proud of the episodes we've produced so far, and we hope that you'll continue to listen as we go ahead and roll out some more episodes in the next coming weeks. I'm Mac Holbert. And I'm Matt Miller. Please remember to support your local libraries. Um, that helps all of our librarians that we've listened to today. And don't forget that you're welcome at UNC's Health Sciences Library, where you can learn about all kinds of cool and disgusting things like tooth keys, for example. We have these things called tooth keys because we have a school yeah, of dentistry. You mentioned tooth yeah. keys. What are tooth keys? So we have a special interest in the history of dentistry because we have a, uh, a school of dentistry. And a tooth key is this terrifying looking object that looks like a ring um, with a stick sticking off of it with a nasty looking spike that comes off the end, sort of a curved spike. And what they would do is hook the spike underneath the bad tooth and then just turn it like that. Ah! It <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad there's not visual for this moment. <laughs> I think she, when she told me about them the first time, I immediately looked it up on Google and yeah, accidentally went to the image search and I was like, well, I'm, I know what I'm having nightmares about tonight. <laughs>